It's bottom of the ninth. Bases loaded at Chicago's Wrigley Field. Fans are on the edge of their seats. The batter steps up to the plate when suddenly a bright blue and red sign in the stands catches his eye. This little cubby needs a kidney. I've never done anything like this before, so I was like scared. I didn't want to hold up the sign in like good moments of the Cubs game because I didn't want to block anyone's view to anyone sliding in. So I was like, oh, when do I hold it up? But as you know, it did get seen. That's Cubs fan, kidney transplant recipient, and National Kidney Foundation of Illinois volunteer, Bridget Coles. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, Director of Marketing and Communications for the Foundation, and your host for this episode of The Journey Continues. Bridget, how did your kidney journey begin? It began in uh, 2017 when I found out my kidneys were failing, which came out of the blue, that's for sure. And um, it was just something that I had to deal with and it was a whole new kind of journey for me. So I got introduced to nephrologists and all sorts of doctors at the beginning and all that. Yeah. What led to your kidneys failing? Um, I had vision issues, which I thought was just like a minor problem. So um, I just thought I needed glasses. Come to find out I needed a lot more. They were like, oh, I'm either going through having diabetes or hypertension. And it turned out to be hypertension at first. Like I had such high blood pressure. So I had to go and do tests on tests. And then they found out, they just found out that it was too late. And the high blood pressure caused my kidneys to fail. And they were bringing up dialysis, which I knew nothing about at the time. And a year after that, they diagnosed in 2018, then they did diagnose me with an autoimmune disease lupus. So to this day, we're still not exactly what came first. Was it the untreated lupus that caused high blood pressure, like the antibodies of lupus causing my blood pressure to rise and then silently killing my kidneys? We still don't know. But right now I have the autoimmune disease lupus, but at first it was treated as hypertension. What did you know about lupus before you were diagnosed? Talking to the doctors when I was in the hospital, getting all this news, they said it could potentially be lupus because at the first test they took, they took a million tests in 2017 and biopsies, like two biopsies I had to go through. And there was like, oh, it could potentially be this autoimmune disease lupus, but it's so hard to diagnose my nephrologist said, no, we're not going to diagnose her right away. And then I had um, a hiccup in late, early, late 2017, early 2018. I would say like five months after being diagnosed with kidney failure. I had fluid around my heart and they had to do a pericardial effusion and drain all this fluid, which is a big red flag with autoimmune disorders. And so then I got set up with a rheumatologist and they just brought it on that it was lupus. In my mind, I do think the lupus came first, but again, like that's not doctor's words. It just makes more sense to me that it was just the lupus went untreated, the antibodies of the lupus causing this silent blood pressure to rise, affecting my eyesight because it was untreated for so long. How did life change for you once you were told your kidneys were failing and you would need to start dialysis? Well, I was in very much shock, but like my mom, she was there for me. She was my best friend through it all. 
And then I had such an like an, an amazing team of doctors solving these problems and getting me getting my eyesight better, giving me my blood pressure medicines. And after they put me on dialysis and the blood pressure medicines, my eyesight came back, which everyone says is remarkable because I kid you not, I was complete like not dark blind, just all blurry vision. I couldn't see. It was so scary. But um, with dialysis, uh, it was so confusing at first, like trying to manage phosphorus. It was kind of like annoying. Like they were like, your phosphorus is high. And I'm like, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> and so you just kind of like got these new vocab words in your life. And like you had to manage your phosphorus, magnesium, this, that. You have a dietitian telling you this. So it was a big lifestyle change for sure. Plus, I did my dialysis early in the morning because in my routine, that's just what worked best for me. I did hemodialysis, so I was okay with going to a center because it was right by my house. I got comfortable with that. So when I got diagnosed in 2017, I was uh, like 2019, 19 or 20. So, I mean, I wasn't going out late with friends because I had to attend dialysis in the morning and health comes first over anything. And so it was a big lifestyle change. But I mean, my friends and family were so supportive and I just had to make it work. It was a day by day thing. Wow. Well, it sounds like you had a lot of great support while you were going through that, especially as a, a young person. I even had to explain to my friends what I was going through because they didn't know what dialysis was. And I was like, eh. and they, they were like praying for me, rooting for me, all that good stuff. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You probably don't have to think about that sort of thing too often when you're college age or fresh out of high school. And yeah. So you share a lot on your Instagram about staying positive. What helped keep you positive when things got hard? I just like, no, things get better at some point. I've like, everybody has uh, bad, good days and bad days. So the good days always do come back around. And I always just enjoyed being like a happy person and all that. I have bad days though, but like, I'm like the good days always do come back around. So when this happened, I was, I mean, I was shook up a bit and all that. And I had many down days with it. But eventually you just kind of have to collect yourself and realize like you're still alive. And yeah, I had to do dialysis three times a week, but the four days a week, I was still able to enjoy life. And like I said, I got my eyesight back like day by day, things kind of leveled out. And I was like, I can get through this. And I had a great social worker at dialysis. Like she was like, unless you do choose to do life on dialysis, which she like I was at a young age, it's different. Everyone has a different story. But she said for me, she was like, remember, this is temporary. She kept telling me that. And so I was all like, you're right, you're right. Like, so I just kind of stuck it through knowing this is temporary. And I kept trying to find like a donor and doing things with the Kidney Foundation to help kind of figure out a transplant. So I just kept that thought in mind. So I just take the positive wisdom and make it go with my positive living. I love that. So you ended up sort of going viral in your um, your quest for finding a kidney. Tell us about that. The whole thing was like, 
was it 20 i think it was 2018 we attended the living with a kidney transplant kind of seminar that the national kidney foundation um holds around it it's just it teaches you so much about the kidneys diet and then this um one woman, I wish I remembered her name. Uh, it was kind of like getting the word out about needing a transplant and like not to be scared. This was at uh, one of the seminars. And um, she was just like encouraging, like you see it online all the time. Like people have need a kidney on a bumper sticker or on a sign or in like a yard sign, like all these different ways to say like, oh, like kidney needed. And the sign really popped out to me. I wasn't sure if I wanted to make a sign and go to like a concert or this and that. But um, the whole Cubs game thing came about because my uncle, he has great seats to the Cubs. And he just kind of gave them to my brother one day. And I told my family that I was like, because none of them qualified to be a kidney donor for me. None of my family did. it. It takes a lot of things to become a kidney donor. They want to make sure it's the right kidney for you. So no one qualified that wanted to donate. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to make a sign and go to a concert, a game, where, I'm not sure. But the good Cubs tickets came around from my uncle and I told my brother, cause me and him were gonna go. And I said, this is it. Like, I'm gonna make the sign. And like, that's when the whole, this little cubby needs a kidney came about. And then I was so nervous. That day, I was like holding my sign throughout Wrigleyville, just very shaky and nervous. I don't like attention too much. And yeah, then me and my brother got the great seats. We were sitting by great people that knew my uncle. And I just like held up the sign. I've never done anything like this before. So I was like scared. I didn't want to hold up the sign in like good moments of the Cubs game because I didn't want to block anyone's view to anyone sliding in to like plates or anything. So I was like, oh, when do I hold it up? But as you, as you know, it did get seen. <laughs> so what happened? So how did it get seen by so many people? Obviously, people at the Cubs game saw it, but beyond that. Before going to the game, because I was, I, I did uh, contact Cubs media. It was just like the basic media team for the Cubs saying, hey, I'm going to bring this sign. This is where we're going to be seating at. It would mean the world if you can help me. Like, I need a kidney. And they never emailed me back. They knew my seats and all that. So I was just like, okay, well, I'll bring the sign. I got in with my sign. I sat at my seat with the sign. And then I got a tap on the shoulder from one of the media team girls. And they did get my email. And they wanted to take a picture of me with my sign, me and my brother with my sign. Like they gave me like a little goodie bag with a cool hoodie in it. I love that hoodie. Still have it, still wear it. And they, I did not know that they would post so quickly to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I did not know that. But like, I would say like two thirds through the game, like halfway through the game, my phone starts buzzing away because on the sign, I didn't put my actual number. I put a Google voice number, but my, oh my gosh, my notifications on my phone were going crazy. And I was like shaking with my brother, like tears of joy. I mean, like it was kind of rainy that day too. The Cubs did end up winning and just having a heck of a game, but the phone started blowing up, but not everybody was a match. So the people that were a match sounding, I gave them like basic, Hey, I'm at 
Advocate Christ in Oak Lawn, kidney transplant team, contact them, say you want to try and donate. I even kind of told the people that weren't my blood type to donate because, hey, like if they really wanted to donate a kidney, maybe they could help someone else that's not my blood type. So I just let them know about the Advocate Christ kidney transplant team, but... My phone was blowing up with a lot of not only offering to donate more like best wishes and this and that. It was very awesome. Well, that sounds like an incredible day all around. You had a, a Cubs win. You're getting all these potential donors. That's so exciting. They did put us on the Jumbotron. So I thought all of these outreaches were from the Jumbotron. It wasn't until we were driving home till one of my managers texted me saying, you're on the Cubs Twitter. I'm like, what? Wow, that had to feel good to have that much support. The craziest feeling of my whole entire life. (laughs) So how long after that fateful game did you learn you had a willing donor? So that game was in May. So June, July, August, September, like I'd say four or five months. My donor, Thomas, didn't come along until I think Thanksgiving in November. Excuse me if I'm wrong, but I think Thanksgiving... He messaged me. I didn't even know it was Thomas yet. I didn't know who the heck it was. But one of the numbers said, I only have a few more tests to do. And then I have to meet with doctors. And I'm like, what the heck? I was scared. I was so like overwhelmed. It was on Thanksgiving. I was about to go to actually my uncle's house who gave us the tickets. I was like, oh my gosh, seriously. And then like, I finally, I think, found out his name, this, that. The other things I was like, is it okay if I tell my family? And he he was like, yeah. And so I told my family. And then my family, though, was on the edge of their seats because they also haven't gone through this before. And so they were like wanting the best for me, but they're still unsure. So, but it was just good information to have. And that Thanksgiving, we all hoped for the best. Yeah, that sounds like it's kind of that knife's edge of like you want to be hopeful, but you also don't want to get your hopes up too high just in case something happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had my hopes up high, but my mom was like hesitant. She like she was a little nervous. Classic moms. Yeah. So now I'd like to introduce you to Bridget's living donor and uh uh-oh, dun-dun-dun, White Sox fan, Thomas Alessio. Hi, Thomas. Hey, hey, how's it going? Great. So tell us uh, your side. How did you learn about Bridget's need for a kidney? It was actually pretty random. I uh, I just saw a, a repost from someone. I don't even have Twitter. And I think someone, it was, uh, it was something I saw online. And it was from Herb Lawrence at the score. And he, he, he reshared a post from the Cubs. And I saw it and I saw the number and just kind of call I, I texted the number and as Bridget said she gave out the information and that's why I went to get all the testing done that's incredible what inspired you to do this it wasn't like something I really thought about I just kind of jumped at it I I donated uh, plasma in college but I think at that point it was you got like fifty dollars per per uh, per match but also like I had a I had a best friend in in high school who who died of cancer so I, I just felt like if I, if you have the ability to help someone, you have the responsibility to do it. So I got in touch with the number and we went from there. That's wonderful. That's, that's very inspiring. And I'm so sorry about your friend. What did your family and friends think when you told them about your plans to donate? Uh, a bit taken back <laughs> to say, to say the least. Uh, 
I have some I have some family members or friends who are really supportive, but I think on the other end of the spectrum, there are also some family members that were uh, taken back, not knowing like, all the information, or also just kind of being protective, making sure I make the right decision. But in the end, it it was my decision, and you know I wouldn't take it back. I love that. So you find out you're a match for Bridget. When did you two actually meet? A couple of weeks from our first surgery that was first scheduled because it was actually a pretty long process. When I first got a, a, the initial approval, at the time I was working broadcast rooms and creating content for Royal Caribbean. So I was actually sent away for about four and a half months. And that's when I got back around Thanksgiving and that's where the testing started again. And that's where we got the final approval. And I met her and her brother out for, for lunch a couple of weeks. And then obviously that was like during COVID and our surgeries kept on getting pushed back and pushed back. Yeah, so I, I think like probably like March, I met around that time, I met Bridget. What were you feeling prior to surgery, especially with all those uh, postponements due to COVID? So I think that sometimes it, it felt a little surreal because a lot of times, like, obviously we were doing, talking to each other through, through text or kind of keeping up with each other. And then I think once you meet the person and then you start going through the final test and getting up to surgery, it, it starts becoming uh, pretty real. And like we're like we're getting pretty close to the actual surgery date, so it, 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 for some parts of it, it kind of felt a little bit like out of body when you're actually going through it. Yeah, I can imagine that would feel strange to go from concept to reality. Yeah, yeah, I remember uh, when I was when I was actually getting wheeled to the surgery, and since you're you're laying down and you're just like watching every light pass by you, and every two light pass by you, like, this is it, this is it, this is it, and then yeah, long, long journey. <laughs> <laughs> what was your recovery like? It was pretty good. Uh, I was actually back to work within a couple of days. Probably, <laughs> probably like not under like the best service. Like I probably should have waited a little bit more, but I went back to work and obviously I, I had some, some pain medication to help me through, but I was taking it easy for, for the most part. And then also resting a lot. Uh, I think my recovery was probably a lot less than Bridget's since mine was laparoscopic. And so I'm living the same life I did before, just making sure I take care of myself. So is life any different for you now post-transplant? No, uh, outside of doing more interviews. (laughs) (laughs) How would you describe your relationship with Bridget now? She was obviously a stranger to you when you signed up for this. How would you describe it now? Yeah, yeah, real good. Um, I, it's obviously some, it's this weird thing that you're just, you have between two people and I don't, there's not many people in the world that can say like, it's just, a, it's a very specific connection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no other relationship like it. What advice do you have for other people who might be considering living donation? Maybe they've donated plasma or blood and, and haven't quite thought about it before. I think I can understand if it's not for someone, I always tell myself that if I'm going to do something, I need to be in it uh, 100%. And I think that's something that the doctors really communicated all the way through. They were saying, hey, if uh, if you are literally sitting on the surgery table right before and you say, hey, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this, they're, they're like, we, we will not force you. We're all open with you jumping you off and then not doing it. So I really think knowing exactly what you want to do and 
if you are 100% certain, uh, go for it because you might change someone's life and, and really do better because obviously we know there's, there was people in a lot better shape that passed away and mm. you, you don't know what's going to happen. I love that. So Bridget, how is life different for you post-transplant? After the recovery process, after receiving the kidney, yeah, like Thomas said, mine was different. Like I was out probably like two or three weeks I took off of work because I also, I love to do stuff. Like I could be a workaholic possibly, but yeah, like a little over three weeks, I went back to work. The recovery, I just kind of laid around, but life after my energy, like the minute I woke up from all of that surgery in the hospital bed, like my face had color again. I just felt like great. Like, so when people say that you feel great the minute after the transplant, that is totally true. And then, yeah, I just kind of had to heal up, even though I had all this energy, I had to rest still. So that was difficult. But once I was fully recovered, I got back out to working, walking, and just it, it's just this new light of energy that was great. And so that's also same, like just keep the body healthy because you don't want to lose that energy again. Or So I don't know, like life after I was able to go back to the things I love doing and I didn't have to go to dialysis three times a week, that drained, that drained my energy. And so I'm just kind of just keeping up with staying healthy and a body in motion stays in motion. That's what I always tell myself and everyone. And it's just a great feeling to be able to move. And yeah, it's a great feeling. It's it's an undescribable feeling, really. That's wonderful. Thomas, that's got to feel good to hear that your kidney has given her this undescribable feeling. Yeah, I, I, it makes you feel like you made the right decision. And I'm happy it's working. <laughs> Everybody in my life is thankful for Thomas and the people that I meet that I tell the story to more people thankful for Thomas and they just find it very remarkable. And it is a remarkable story. And nobody ever really believes me if I tell people. <laughs> I always get like a no way. I'm like, yeah, I had a kidney transplant. <laughs> and a lot of times I can't hide it because I have the scar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You still have your fistula, Bridget? Uh, they kept like, it's not like, because every fish, everybody's different, but my fistula has a bump on my left wrist and that's just like a blow up of the vein, but it's nothing harmful or anything. But if people see my arm, you definitely can tell like there is a port in there and I just like, that's where the whole, yeah, I got a kidney transplant and then no way it comes from, they're keeping the fistula in just in case. I mean, yeah. I could get it taken out, but then it's one of those things on my end where it's like, of course, if I take it out, things backfire. It's one of those things you have to weigh the decision making. Yeah. So I have like a veiny left arm, but I'm have all the energy in the world and I'm able to live life to the fullest. So I'm okay with it. That's incredible. So what advice do you have for people who are still waiting for their own life-saving transplant? Unless they are doing life on dialysis, you should know that dialysis is only temporary and voice your voice your words on needing a kidney. Talk to your family, friends, 
social media helps a heck of a lot, like, and all that, and share what you're going through. Not only finding a kidney, if you just share what you're going through, other people can relate and you can actually help somebody just in the simplest ways. Like it was a tough day at dialysis. Well, a lot of people have tough days at dialysis and just like spread the positivity that one tough day isn't going to be forever. I just voice your words. That was the big thing with my sign. Like I said, I don't like attention. That was a big jump for me, but it saved my life and I appreciate it. I appreciate Thomas all the time. That's wonderful. So Thomas, are you at least a partial Cubs fan now? No, sorry. It won't happen. (laughs) I feel like she should be a partial Sox fan, right? Yeah, that was my next question. Are you a partial Sox fan? (laughs) Yeah, I technically, scientifically am. (laughs) (laughs) Do you two go to Crosstown Classic Games together? We did this year. That could be your new tradition. Yeah, we we should. I didn't make it to too many Cubs games this year. It was like just a crazy summer, but... But that Crosstown, that was like the only one I went to this year. And that was with me, Thomas, and my doctors. It was a crappy day, but a lot of fun. That sounds wonderful. So, Thomas, would you, if you could, would you donate a kidney again? I only have one left, so I I don't think I could do it again. If you had an additional one to donate, would you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If I had to go back, I would do it again. Uh, Maybe if I grew another one, I could do it again. But, you know, we'll, we'll see where science takes us. That's, I think that's a ringing endorsement for living donation right there. If you, if you could do it, go back and do it again, you would. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your stories or anything else you want to share. I'm thankful for all the living donors, be it kidney, be it plasma, eyes, skin, tissues, all that. Like I'm thankful for all the donors out there because they really do make a difference, a big difference. Well said. Yeah. I think just if you have the opportunity to do something and you feel like it can help someone and you really want to do it, uh, really look into it. You can help clear the bases, I mean organ transplant waiting list, by considering donating a kidney. For more information about living donation, visit our website at nkfi.org. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, and this is The Journey Continues. Prevention is a key part of our mission at the NKFI. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Prest offers a health or nutrition tip. Here is today's nutrition tip about dining out. For people living with chronic kidney disease, dining outside of the home or ordering takeout can feel stressful because it can be difficult to navigate the menu for kidney-friendly food options. So how can you enjoy dining out and keep your kidney diet in mind? Do some homework before you order your food or eat at the restaurant. Many restaurants now include nutrition information on their websites or menus to help consumers make healthier for them food choices. Soups, sauces, and salad dressings will likely have added salt, so be sure to check the nutrition information, if available, before you order. And you can always call the restaurant and ask if it's possible to prepare the menu item you desire without added salt. When you do order, do it with a kidney-friendly plate in mind by ordering a small mixed green salad dressed with oil and vinegar, a steamed vegetable side, a healthy protein that's baked or steamed, and a grain serving. If going with a plant-based protein option like a veggie burger, ask if any preservatives have been added as these may increase the phosphorus and sodium content. A safe sauce choice for most people following a kidney-friendly diet is olive oil and garlic over rice or noodles. 
be sure to keep your portions in check and ask for a to-go container when your food arrives. Put half of your main dish in the container before you even start to eat, or if you're getting takeout, portion out your meal on your own plates instead of eating out of the container. The National Kidney Foundation has a great resource called Dining Out with Confidence for people in CKD stages one through four and on dialysis. This resource can be found at kidney.org or you can call the NKFI office for a printed copy to be mailed to you. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Press, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.